Our theme, as everybody I think has noticed by now, our theme is the theme of love and truth. And you know, each year it's uh, one of my tasks is to, you know, sort of come up with a theme and kind of lay out the teaching and invite the different guys that are going to be doing the sharing from, from the main stage here. And as I was praying into it this past year, I just, just this theme of love and truth. We just recently did a conference back in California. Uh, it was a pastor's leaders conference and we entitled it Grace and Truth. And um, I thought love and truth would just expand it a little bit. And so I wanted to go with that theme this year. And I think it's a very uh, important and I think it's a relevant theme for where we're at in our world today, where we're at in our various cultures today. Uh, love is always a big thing, right? And there, there's always that um, just kind of uh, need that, that's there, perpetually there. Uh, people need love. And of course, there's no greater love than the love of God through Jesus Christ. And so we want to talk about love. We want to explore the love of God uh, as we're together this week. But we want to make sure that we understand love in its uh, proper uh, context or, or, or way that it should be understood. Because a lot of times today, even sometimes when you're talking about God's love, uh, sometimes it's, it's a little mushy. Sometimes it's not really um, accurate uh, biblically. So we want to make sure that we have a good, strong biblical understanding of the love of God. And that's where the, the idea of truth sort of comes in to give us that balanced perspective. You know, uh, John R.W. Stott, as well as C.S. Lewis and others, uh, they said something like this, and I think this will give you uh, just kind of a good understanding of what I'm talking about here. They said, truth is hard if it is not softened by love. Love is soft if it is not strengthened by truth. And so we are bringing these two things together. That's our theme for the week. And here this morning, I want to look at uh, the theme of love and truth And I want to have us look at Jesus and see how he so beautifully embodied love and truth, how he demonstrated it, and he demonstrated it so uh, powerfully in his encounter with a particular woman in the city of Samaria. So if you have your Bible with you, I want you to open up to John chapter 4. And we're going to read some verses from the fourth chapter of John's gospel, and that will be our text for today. So uh, we'll pick up in John chapter 4, verse 3, and I'll read through verse 26. It's a a little bit of reading, but it's it's a great story, so just enjoy it here. So verse 3 says, he, speaking of Jesus, left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, 
being a Jew, how is it that you being a Jew are asking from me, uh, a Samaritan woman, uh, to give you a drink? And then it adds here, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink or give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Abraham who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well spoken. You have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let's pray. Lord, we pray now as we just take a look over this text that we would see here uh, how you so beautifully demonstrated both love and truth to this woman. And Lord, that as we see that, that we would understand that that is the way that we too ought to deal with others. And Lord, that we would understand as well that that's the way that you deal with us even today. So speak those things into our lives as we've gathered here. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as, as we look at the story, we see that in this story, Jesus deals with this woman um, with both love and truth. And as you, as you just read the story on the surface, unless you understand a little bit about the culture and the background, you might not get the nuanced uh, things that are happening here that are actually demonstrations of his love. But the first thing that I want to point out to you, we'll look at love first and then we'll move to truth. The first thing is that we read that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Now that's an interesting statement because geographically, Jesus did not need to go through Samaria. As a matter of fact, normally, under most circumstances, 
Jews would not go through Samaria because as we've already read, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. So Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's in the south. He's going to make his way back up to Galilee, which is, of course, is in the north. Um, and of the most direct route indeed would be through Samaria. But because of the, the racial tension that existed at the time, normally the Jews would take a different route. They would go uh, through the area of Perea and then make their way up to Galilee. But it says here that Jesus needed, notice the emphasis, he needed to go through Samaria. And why did he need to go through Samaria? He needed to go through Samaria because he knew that this woman would be at that well at that time, and there was a divine appointment that he would have with her. And of course, that was all based on his love, the love of God. You know, sometimes we fail to realize this, but listen, think about this. Now, here's a, here's a woman. She's, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about her in a second, but, uh, you know, out of all the people on the planet at the time, I mean, she's, I think we could all agree, she's probably a relatively insignificant person. But I want you to notice, she's not insignificant to the Son of God. The Son of God who's come from heaven. The Son of God who's omniscient, who knows all things, who knows everyone, who knows the number of hairs on everybody's head. He says, I've got to go through Samaria because there's a woman there that I need to have a conversation with. And in that, we see a demonstration of his love. Now, also, as we look at this, and I've already sort of hinted at it, what we see here with Jesus as well is Jesus crossed uh, barriers out of love. You know, sometimes we are uh, prevented from reaching out to people because there, there's a barrier there. There's some, some kind of a boundary that maybe... Uh, society has set up. And so, or, or maybe sometimes in the church, actually, we, we set up barriers too. And we say, oh, well, you know, these are the kind of people that we're going to associate with. These are the kind of people that we're going to reach out to. But you know, then there's this other group of people or this other type of person. And well, that's, there's sort of off limits to us. And at the time, as we see, that was the case. There was the racial barrier, but there was also the gender barrier. But Jesus did not let either barrier uh, affect him. So notice now, as I pointed out when I was reading, there's the little comment there. The woman is asking the question, what are you a Jew doing asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And then John is the one who adds the comment, for those who don't know the background, for the Jews and the Samaritans, they have no dealings with one another. You see, there was that racial tension. Now, the Samaritans, just for a quick little history lesson, the Samaritans were like actually like a half-breed people. Uh, in 721 BC, the, the Assyrians had conquered the northern part of the land, and they uh, brought a number of nations there, and they began to, uh, to intermarry with the Is with the Israelites. And so you had this, this group that was sort of like, they were, you know, sort of a half-breed type of a people. And then, because they were ostracized racially, they decided that they would develop their own version of uh, 
the Mosaic system. So they had their own temple, they had their own form of worship, and so all of this stuff uh, alienated them from the Jews. So the average Jew would not have a conversation with a Samaritan, period. But we see Jesus is not bound by those kinds of racial things. And you know, of course, I don't have to tell you, the racial thing is still with us today, isn't it? I just read an article this morning, maybe you saw it, I, I actually, I saw it on Twitter, um, that the, the, at the Olympics in Rio, uh, the Lebanese Olympic team would not ride on a particular bus because the Israeli team was on the bus. And they refused to get on that bus. And in America today, we have a, a sort of a resurgence of racial conflict. And it's all so sad and unfortunate. And again, oftentimes, it's because of those kinds of things that we will not engage with certain people. But you know what? Love, and this is what we see with Jesus, love does not take that into consideration. Jesus just goes right across that racial barrier. But there was also a gender barrier as well. And the disciples, if you notice, again, as we're reading the text, the disciples were a little bit perplexed when they came back. And what was the problem? He was speaking to a woman. You see, in that culture, and among the religious leaders of the day, the rabbis would not themselves ever publicly speak with women, and they taught that it was uh, wrong to do so. Because in the mind of the rabbinical leaders at the time, women were, uh, you know, kind of to, you know, be seen but not heard. Uh, you weren't to have any kind of association publicly with them. So we see that Jesus the embodiment of love, he doesn't allow those things to prevent him from his mission. We see also he demonstrates his love toward her and that he offers her the gift of eternal life. Jesus offers her this, this gift of life. And it's a free offer. And there's no strings attached in a sense. And he's not, um, none of these things are, are preventing him from doing that. He offers her the gift. And this is what I want you to see. He, the way he treats her, as you look at it, he treats her with concern, kindness, and respect. But here's the key. He knows the whole time her background, and her current immoral situation. See, Jesus wasn't ignorant of that. He knew it because as we read in the third chapter, if we would have read it, uh, we read there in chapter three that Jesus knew all people. He didn't need anyone to testify for he knew what was in man. So Jesus already knew everything about this woman. He knows all about her life. He knows all about her problems. He knows all about her sins. And it wasn't just those external things, the racial issue, the gender issue, and all of that that would have kept another person away from that. But of course, many would have stayed away simply because in their eyes, this woman was a sinner. So she was to be excluded. She was to be ostracized. And unfortunately, in that deeply religious culture, she was to be looked down upon and shunned. But Jesus knows all of this about her, and we see how he approaches her. But then, as we look at it, we see that 
Jesus didn't hold back the truth. And, and you see, this is the important thing when we talk about just this whole theme of, of love and truth. Because we are given a commission to go forth to the world with the gospel. And the gospel is, well, John 3.16 is the gospel, right? For God so loved the world. So we go out with the message of love. But as we go out with that message of love, that shouldn't hold us back from telling people the truth. And actually, if we really love people, we're going to tell them the truth. But it's also very important to make sure that we're uh, demonstrating that we love them. So when we tell them the truth, they're more ready to receive it. And you see, that's the case with, the, with Jesus and this woman here. Because he approaches her with love, and undoubtedly she sensed that because she knew this is, this is different. This is not an, any Jew. This is a different Jew. I, this is, uh, I've never met a Jew like this, she might say. And it was that love that she felt. But Jesus speaks the truth to her. So as we read on through the story, I want you to, again, just let me point out a few things. He tells her the truth about the fact that nothing in this world is ever going to satisfy her except what he's offering to her. And he expresses that when he says to her, if you drink this water, and of course that was the water in the, the Jacob's well there. If you drink this water, what does he say? You're going to thirst again. And essentially what he's saying to her is, look, there's nothing in the material world that will ever satisfy that deep, deep longing that you have in your soul for significance, for meaning, for purpose, for fulfillment. He tells her the truth. He doesn't hold back the truth. But not only does he tell her the truth about the fact that nothing in the world is ever going to satisfy her, he also brings up the sin issue. Now, this is where it gets kind of touchy sometimes, right? You know, we, we can be talking to someone and we're telling them about the love of God and, and we feel like, you know, they're, they're being drawn in. And then, you know, maybe in the course of the conversation, you find out they might tell you, you know, something about their life that sort of reveals where they're at in regard to sin. And suddenly you're like, oh no, do I bring that up? Oh this is going to be so awkward. This is going to be so uncomfortable. Oh, you know, maybe I just won't say that. I'll just say, hey, it's okay. God loves you. Don't worry about it. Let's just move on from that. But you see, we can't do that. We have an obligation. We have a responsibility. And so Jesus doesn't hold back on the sin issue, but notice how he deals with it. He says to the woman an interesting thing. He says, you know, she's saying, yes, I want this water. This is fantastic. Give it to me. And he says, go call your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband. Right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And the man you're living with presently is not your husband. And Jesus, it's almost like he sort of nicely says, and in that you spoke truthfully. But you see what he's doing there is he's addressing the issue in her life, the sin issue. Because, of course, adultery is a sin. It was then. It still is today. And so Jesus doesn't shy away from this. He pinpoints this because, listen, the truth of the matter is God in his love, he wants to reconcile us to himself. But the sin issue has to be dealt with. 
And, and of course, it is dealt with initially, primarily through what Jesus did on the cross. But we've got to, to face the sin issue in our own life if we're going to experience the blessing of God. Now, as you know, there are two um, presidential candidates running for office in the United States. One of them, not the woman, but the man, <laughs> one of them, so the rumor is that he's a Christian now. And there are many evangelical leaders in the country who are saying, you know, yep, it's true. That fellow's a Christian. He's become a Christian. And somebody asked me recently, has, you know, what do you think about that? And I, and I just said this. I said, listen, I heard this man say this. This man said, I have never felt the need for forgiveness. And I said, that tells me right there, the man is not a Christian. You cannot be a Christian if you don't feel the need for forgiveness. Because becoming a Christian means you recognize I'm a sinner. I've broken God's laws. I've offended God. And so you have to, you have to address the sin issue. That's all I'm going to say about politics <laughs> for the rest of the morning or the week for that matter. But you see, again, Jesus, he addresses the, the issue that needs to be addressed. He speaks the truth to her. But remember, he's already laid the foundation to be able to do that through the love. And that, that's really the key. That's what we're talking about. Through our lives, through our, our kindness and our graciousness and our patience and our, all of those things, we, we're laying a foundation so when the time comes, we can speak that truth to people, sometimes that hard truth. And here's another hard truth that Jesus spoke to her. And this is one that's very relevant today as well. Both of these are, right? I mean, we all know. You all have friends. I have friends. I, I know people who uh, they need to come to the Lord, but they've got a, a glaring sin in their life that's going to have to be addressed. That's, that's uncomfortable, but it has to happen. Another hot topic is, of course, religion. And we live in a climate today where the idea is that you never, ever, for one moment, would you publicly say that anybody's other, uh, anybody else's religion is wrong. Uh, you shouldn't even think that. That's, that's the, the mentality in the culture today, right? But again, this is where Jesus showed us something different. Because if you notice here in the text, Jesus tells the woman she has the wrong religion. Because the fact of the matter is, there are wrong religions. As a matter of fact, they are all wrong with the exception of this one. People say, oh, God, I can't believe you said that. That's so narrow. That's so bigoted. That is so horrible. And, and again, these things, you know, this has always been controversial. This has always been a problem for some people. But man, today, it's like, it's almost like the entire uh, culture has embraced this idea that you just can't, you can never say uh, anything's wrong. But Jesus said, he says to her, she's a Samaritan, she worships at Mount Gerizim. Jesus said, you, you don't know what you're doing with your worship. He said, we know what we're doing because salvation is of the Jews. 
Now again, these are very, they're very touchy subjects. And so here's my point. We cannot withhold sometimes uh, that information, it's vital. We cannot withhold that. Uh, we have to do our best to, to let people know, what, whatever their religion might be, that there is only one way to God, and we have to be able to explain that to them, why that is the case. Oftentimes people say to me, oh, this idea that there's, there's one way to God, that I, I just can't buy that. that, that just seems so unfair. And I think to myself, I said, no, that's not unfair. There's, one way, there's only one way to do lots of things. It's not unfair, it's just the way it is. Now, I would say, if God said, there's only one way to me and only a few people, I'm gonna just pick and choose a few that can come. Now, I would say, well, that sounds kind of unfair. But the fact that there's just one way isn't unfair because everybody's invited to come through that one way. So Jesus, he tells her, that her religion is wrong. He brings a hard truth. And then finally, Jesus tells her that there's only one way to be fulfilled. There's only one way to have your sin removed. There's only one way to know God and receive eternal life. That's pretty much what he's communicating to her in this. And one of the things about this passage that always astounds me, and I want you to remember what I said earlier about the, the relative insignificance. I don't want to overstate the case. She was a human being, so of course she was significant. But in her culture, and you know, there, there's the thought, and it's probably true, that she comes to the well in the afternoon which is not the normal time that women would come. They would normally come in the morning. But the thought is that she comes in the afternoon because she doesn't want to be out there with the other women because she's looked down upon by them because of her, uh, all of the, you know, the broken relationships and all of that. Uh, you know, so this is the background with this woman. A sinner, a Samaritan, um, all of that against her. But you know, Jesus does something with her that he does with very few people. She says, remember she said to him at this certain point, when it's clear to her that he's a prophet, she says, well, we know the Messiah is coming and he's gonna bring us all the truth. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. This is so amazing. Every time I read it, I'm just astounded. Jesus is telling this woman, this Samaritan woman, he doesn't even tell this to the religious leaders of, of Israel. He never really comes right out. I mean, he does sort of in his, in his trial when they say, are you the blessed, the son of the most high God? He says, yep, you said it. That's true. But he, he never really comes right out and says to them in, in the clearest sense, like he does here, I am the Messiah. But he does for this woman here. And again, that just shows me just the, the beauty of the heart of the Lord that, you know, here is this, this lowly woman who's looked down upon by so many around her, but Jesus reveals to her a, a deep secret. He's the Messiah. Okay, so that's the story. And this is what we see in Jesus. He, he's the example for us. But now listen, he 
is modeling for us how we are to approach people as well. And, you know, one of the things that I think as Christians will help us tremendously in reaching out to others who don't know Christ is, is to just remember how much grace God has given to us. And this has kind of been like a, a historical problem in the church. Uh, you forget how much grace you've been shown. You forget how much you've been forgiven. And you, you kind of develop sometimes, and I'm not saying you, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, you know, you kind of can develop like a sort of a self-righteous thing. And there's nothing that's more repelling than self-righteousness, is there? I mean, it's just like, it's a, it's a big turnoff. But you know, the thing that will prevent self-righteousness is to just always keep at the forefront of your mind, at the forefront of our mind, how much grace God has shown us. Now, Timothy Keller has kind of coined a, a, a phrase, and I think it's, it's just such a great reminder. He says this, and he said it in a number of different ways. Here's one version of it. He says, we are more sinful and wicked than we ever dared believe, but more loved and cherished than we ever dared hope. You know, if I keep that at the forefront of my mind, whenever I meet a person who is a, a sinner in the sense that I just like, wow, man, how could they even, how could they even do anything like that? You know, I've got to remember, wow, you know, I'm a sinner too. And God has been gracious to me. And so the grace that he showed to me, I want to show to this person as well. And you know what I've discovered in my many years now of pastoral ministry and teaching and so forth? God is a lot more gracious and he's, he's way more patient than human beings are. Have you ever noticed that? I can think back to people that I was so impatient with and... <laughs> just, you know, believe that, you know, they had gone too far and God had written them off and, you know, they might as well just forget it. And, and yet I look back now and I think, where, where was I at? And, and I was probably not realizing how much of a sinner I am myself. But you know what happens? The longer you live life, the more you realize how important God's grace is, not for your congregation, but for you. <laughs> Like Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's where we end up. We realize, maybe when I was younger, I thought I am what I am because of this, or I'm deeply spiritual, or I'm extraordinarily holy, or I never really thought that because I always had Cheryl there to remind me that none of that was true. But, uh, you know, sometimes we think of that stuff. We think that about ourselves. So, what is my point? My point is that Jesus is exemplifying for us here. We see it with him and the woman at the well. He's giving us a model, a model that we can follow. But then finally, in closing, I want to say this. Maybe today, some of you would find yourself not in an identical, but in a similar situation to this woman. And maybe you're wondering about love. Maybe you're wondering if anybody 
loves you. Maybe you even feel like, you know what? Nobody should love me because I'm, I'm very unlovable. But listen, God loves you. God loves you. How do I know that? God demonstrated his love for us, all of us, in that while we were sinners, not when we got our act together, because we never do, that's only God's grace, <clears throat> but while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And that love of God, you know, a couple of days ago on the George Washington Bridge in New York City, there was a man riding his bicycle along, and he looked over, he just glanced over, and he saw a young man who had gone over the rail on the bridge, and he was about to plunge 200 feet to his death. And several people, that's been kind of the place where they go to commit suicide. As he's riding along, he catches this out of the corner of his eye, and in just an instant, he doesn't know what to do, what to say, he just knows this is an emergency, and he just cries out, he says, don't, don't, stop, we love you. And with that word, we love you, that guy stepped back, and they saved his life. But you know, undoubtedly, part of what brought him there was the thought that nobody loves me. This guy says, no, no, we love you. And you know what? God would say that to us today, to you today. I love you. And regardless of where you're at, regardless of where, you're been, where you've been, I want to give you living water. And those things that you've been trying to satisfy yourself with, those things that you've been trying to find fulfillment through, all of those things, you can just keep drinking from that well for the rest of your life and know this, it's not there. That's the truth. It's not there. But Jesus said he has water that he will give. And his way of describing salvation is here is that he has water that he will give that will, come, that will become within us a spring of, of water welling up to life. And so, God loves you. The truth is our sins separate us from him, but the greater truth is the grace of God through Jesus Christ and his blood shed on the cross that covers our sin. It washes us clean. The power of the Holy Spirit renews us. And you know, every year, year after year, I meet some of you who tell me, you know, I came last year or two years ago, I wasn't a Christian, I came, I heard, I received Jesus, and now this is what's happened in my life. You know, that is the greatest news I can ever hear. It is so wonderful. And I would just imagine that there are maybe some of you today that are in that place. And so, if you drink the water, that the world offers, you'll thirst again, but if you drink the water that Jesus offers, you'll never thirst. And I wanna just extend that invitation to you today, to drink that water. And that all is just allegorical for receiving Christ into your life. As many as received him, he gives the power, the right, the authority to become the children of God. What do I have to do? Well, you just acknowledge, I am a sinner. I need forgiveness and know that Jesus died and rose again to make all of that possible. And then you just receive him into your life. You just say, Lord, here I am. I, I receive you and that gift of life. He will come and he will give to you. The band's gonna come back out. We're gonna have a closing song. I'm gonna close this in prayer. And then we're gonna have a connect team up front here. And listen, if you need prayer this morning, if you wanna 
meet the Lord, if you want to receive Christ, like we're talking about, come on up and let them pray with you. If you have any other prayer need, you want to come up and connect and get some prayer, do that. If you want to just turn to somebody next to you, you've got some friends with you or whatever, you want to have a little bit of prayer together, then by all means do that as well. But let's, uh, let's go ahead and stand. Let me pray. Let's stand together. Lord, thank you for the beautiful illustration of love and truth that we have here in this story of your dealings with this woman. Lord, how you reached out in love to her. How, Lord, you took uh, the inconvenient, the unpopular route because you had a divine appointment there with a thirsty soul. And Lord, I thank you that there are thirsty souls here today that you intend to quench that thirst for them. And so help them, Lord, to open their hearts and to receive. And if that's you today, you know, right where you're standing right now, you feel like, you know, that woman, that's my story. You want that living water that Jesus offered. Right now where you're standing, just say, Jesus, forgive my sins. I receive you into my life. Be my savior. Give me that living water. And you know what? He's going to do that for you. And so, Lord, work by your spirit. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for your wonderful truth. And we pray that as we go through the week, that we would be more and more rooted and grounded in it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.